Hey, Julia. Hey, Sam. Who did we talk to today? Today, we talked to the director, Tom Costello, who I grew up with in Ithaca and I've known since we were young teens. Wow, that's wild. You know what else is wild? What? We are currently at 12 reviews in the iTunes podcast app. Wow, our review count is getting old enough to, like, rebel against its parents and get in all sorts of trouble. Well, I was just I was just thinking, like, wouldn't it be wonderful if in the episode where we talk to someone you've known since your young teens is if our review count went up to the young teens? Yeah, that would be pretty sweet. I wonder if someone could help us with that. Oh, I didn't see you there. <laughs> Dear <laughs> Maybe listener. you could rate and review our podcast if you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy the episode. I've been inventing a game recently, which is just um, well, like having a conversation about something that no one knows the answer to, and we just then make a poll about what we all think the answer is. Ooh. We're walking in Philadelphia, and we're like, why is there a crack in the Liberty Bell? Like, who actually knows? And probably, I would guess, neither of you know. I don't know. No clue. Yeah, right, but we all know there's a crack in Liberty Bell. Like, where did it come from? We're yeah. just like playing the game of like, what is the crack in, like, what, what do we all think it is? Ooh, fun. What yeah. were the, wait, can we play? <laughs> That's exactly, this sounds like, this is why you and I hang out, which is right, like, right. ooh, we can play this game right now. One of the first things Tom and I know each other from yeah. is from Orange Tree Theater Company mm-hmm. in Ithaca, New York, which is an all-youth-run theater company. Yeah. And I am curious, now that we're both, like, grown-ups, like, doing theater for real, how well, if at all, do you think Orange Tree, like, prepared you to do this thing? Um, I think in a lot of ways, I want to, and without going into like a, a deep dive history of all the things that we were, that we did back in the day. <laughs> um, all very impressive and important. Yeah. But, you. but we used to like have these meetings out in a house at the end of one of our friend's driveways and they were staff meetings for like a youth run theater company. We all had like some form of title that was somewhat official, um, being you know 15 to 18 years old and uh, it felt incredibly similar to a lot of the things I do now in terms of working on staff for the few theaters I work with generally and I think that it made my entry into that world of the things that I do in terms of admin like a lot smoother there was something about I guess in high school when you're like making when you're making theater you're on staff you're, you're like running a company then there is something that is cool about being the deciders um but then a lot of it is also just the hard work. And like, that was true then. It was still a lot of work then. Yeah. Um, we deciders like like gatekeepers. Yeah, the gatekeepers are decision makers, the ones yeah. who have the power to like choose what it is the art will and won't be and who's yeah. going to do it and hiring people. And, and you still sort of are in that position yeah. some of the time, right? Uh, yeah, and I still do it like with my friends, like in the, in the way that feels really similar sometimes. We're gathering in somebody's living room in a New York apartment instead right. of somebody's like, barn living room that was in the back of somebody's driveway but like it's a, a, in all other ways it's it feels pretty much the same do you so you're saying you you enjoy feeling like a gatekeeper i don't because uh, every I, time that i've ever been in that position it it stresses me out yeah i don't think i don't feel like a gatekeeper although i probably assume that some people can look at me or people doing what i'm doing and feel like they hold the, like the, the key to the gate yeah but I think the responsibility of making decisions, I do enjoy it, but it also feels incredibly important yeah. at the same time. 
And I think that's what can be stressful. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also just like in my experience, it, like people come out of the woodwork and are like trying to like butter me up. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, uh, like I, I start getting this weird skewed sense of what's real and you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I'm just start, I, I get paranoid. Like, are they only like being nice to me because like I I'm holding this power of this thing that they want at this current moment. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, God, you're like t- touching on a thing that like, I don't think I've totally solved in my mind and uh-huh. I may just like talk out right now and I don't know. Um, which is that like, I think when I'm in that position and people are coming to me and they're like a director who like wants to get picked to do a thing or, or a playwright or an actor and I'm, and they're talking to me maybe in their head being like, this is a person who makes decisions for people. I'm usually just being like, I like artists and I love talking to artists and it's Uh so cool to get to like have a conversation with you. And I want to know what it is you think or what you find interesting or whatever, or just, you know, who are you? Um, Or if I know you, then it's like, what's up? How's it going? (laughs) Right. And then when I'm in the position of talking to one of those people, that I think like, I'm like, oh my God, they are, they hold the key to a gate. Uh There's like the the flop sweat and all that stuff. And I just all of a sudden go into that into the nerves. But I think, so I guess I'm saying that like, I think I also totally, I find more nerves on the, on the, in the position of being trying to get through a gate than holding a key to one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Do you feel, I'm really curious about like when you're, so when you're in the gatekeeper position yeah, and you're talking to these people, do you feel like you can like tease out which ones are like talking to you from a very genuine place and, mm-hmm. and who it is not necessarily? I think so. And I do you feel like you hold it against the people who yeah, are coming? Yeah, that's why I pause there. Like, I don't hold it against them. I'm just like, no. usually, because I, I think, like you said, like I've, I think very few people are doing it in a... Um, in a really egotistical way. Yeah. Fortunately, I think I run into that very little. Right. So I usually think I'm running to people being like, oh, you're maybe a little bit nervous because you think I am, I represent something that like to you that I don't necessarily represent. Mm. Um, and I totally, can I like, I deeply empathize with that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. Like let's like, I, I often will just then try to bring a really calm energy to that so that, that mm. they can like be like, okay, let's just talk or, cool. or whatever else. Yeah. And I don't know if other people treat it that way. Um, and I will say that when I am in the place of that deep anxiety, I feel like no one treats it that way. And I don't, and I, and I don't approach that from a place of like, how dare they, or they should. I think it speaks more to my own anxiety. Um, that I find it sometimes is hard for me to turn off that anxiety and be able to actually just like be myself. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel the same way yeah. when I'm like butting up against a gate. It's it's less about what they're doing to make me feel a certain way and more just that like I have that anxiety inside of me. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think this is what I was going to be talking about, but like I do think <laughs> I think that a lot, but I think it's really helpful and as a person who uh works a lot with emerging artists and with students, I think that there is often a conception that there is like a secret code that like every that everyone speaks on the inside and when you're on the outside you just like don't know what it is and you can't figure it out and you want to know and and then it's and when I'm in when I'm in the club I'll know the code but (laughs) there's like there isn't a code like a person who sometimes feel like I assume that some people feel like I'm on the inside of some club I'm like there's there's no code it's just like people who are all trying to figure out what they're doing but still when I'm on the outside I feel like right yeah (laughs) but isn't the code kind of just sort of like speaking authentically yes right because if you're not then the people who are on the inside or whatever are like oh they don't they're not really sure what they're doing Mm -hmm. you know yeah 
Yeah. I also do feel like within certain like micro communities, mm-hmm. they're like there sort of is a code. You know, like yeah, there are sort of shared true. aesthetics and things that certain groups do like artistically yeah. and personally. Yeah, but I think then we also can sometimes think that they are um, like a group. Like there's like a group mindset. There's like a, they like all have some secret thing they all think together or something mm, like that. That's you know, true. yeah. That you're like, oh god, like they all secretly have some collective. I was using this analogy recently, like, like um, about auditioning, be like, you're just like banging on the door trying to get let into the building. Hmm. But then there's an assumption that inside of the building, like everybody is inside talking about you and guarding all the doors and not letting <laughs> you into any of them when they're all just like, yeah, I have this door and like everyone kind of treats their door their own way. And it's like, there's not like, yeah. there's not one collective conversation about you happening inside the building that you're like knocking the door on of, of right. which you're knocking the door. <laughs> right. Right. But it feels like there is when you're on the outside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, I think I, I, I get like really like worked up about this as I get worked up about various things because I just feel like it like is, I think it's fundamentally it's detrimental to art. I think like the more that people spend, and I think like it's a like for freelance artists, it is like being in that position just makes it harder to do your job, which is to create great work. Right. And so the more time people spend being like, I I, I'm just trying to beat down the door and all this stuff and I am I not right like and like obviously it's part of like all of our experiences is to be like um, have doubt and worry and all that but it fundamentally like n- never leads to the best material you know or we just like waste our time and energy mm-hmm. freaking out about that that's so interesting so like what I what I just heard you mm-hmm. say which isn't what you actually said oh, but great. like <laughs> where, it, where it took my mind basically mm-hmm. is what I'm saying is like it's probably more um, beneficial to just sort of like m- make your art wherever you are than to like waste time trying to bang down a door. Yeah. Because at least you're making your art and then you have something that like those people on the inside can actually like view. Yeah. You know? Yes. I don't know. I mean, I think like, so like I teach first year acting and I think that so much of that work is like helping people to really bring their own inner genuine self mm-hmm. to a scene rather than trying to like perform the scene and, and like the right. idea of it. And I think that analogy is true for so much art being like, what is yeah. actually, I, um, uh, like I'd spent a year in film school and um and in screenwriting and i had this uh uh czech screenwriter uh who who was our teacher and he said he's like i want to know what secret you know that no one else knows Mm. and that's like the that's the story that i would like you to tell do you think all students like young kids like are you born with sort of like and a sense of self and like a personhood or do you think some people are like they haven't had enough experiences to like have their secret yet hmm mm. yeah <laughs> 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 like the like in other words like do you like at what point in time do people like get that secret that they can tell that no one else can tell i always really shy away from the term as a teacher and as a human of being like that person's an actor and that person's not an actor hmm. um because I think that every, like, I, it feels so woo woo. <laughs> and Julian and I, like, both being from, like, hippie towns, I feel like I, like, get very, like, <laughs> sometimes I, like, feel like oh, I don't want to say, like, woo woo things. But I'm like, I, I think, like, everyone is an actor to a certain extent. 
And so I'm like, uh, yeah, probably a like 15 year old like can do that incredibly well. But like, what is it then that makes them effective at it? And I think like as a person who sometimes also like teaches like acting for high schoolers, like I think that it comes from a place of like, are you able to most deeply tap into like your inner self in a way that is, um, I don't know. It's not like it's not just about like truthfulness. I have students right now who are like uh, who I think like are in a place where they're like uh, they're really struggling to kind of get into the place of like impulse. Mm -hmm. And I think that probably comes from a life of somehow just being told that they can't. Maybe not like somebody was specifically telling them that, but sometimes probably yes. Um, like I really actually know, like I don't spend a lot of time talking about like what their lives are, but I think it's like maybe there was an authority figure who told them they couldn't or maybe uh, socially they felt like they had been punished by that. Like just totally. By, yeah. And that's yeah. like so some 15 year olds are like by the miracle of somehow surviving middle school, like without having gone through that experience, like are like kind of able to be like, you know what, I'm going to be me and I'm going to show this off right now. And I'm yeah. going to just, you know, present this in the moment. But sometimes we can't. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes no, perfect makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, on, on top of all of that, I, I know that especially when I was younger, like I had this idea that like I had to I had to um, do it right. Like I had <laughs> to act the scene the right way. Yeah. Which is a myth. Yeah. Right? Like there's no I mean, <laughs> apart from like making sure to like, you know, if there's like a plot point that needs to be. Yeah. Um, whatever that, clear, that needs yeah. to be made clear but yeah. like other than that like there's no like there's no like one human behavior <laughs> yeah that that is appropriate for the scene <laughs> yeah you know? and that's that's uh but and like usually when we think it is is not the most interesting one exactly yeah Sorry, I don't mean to because it's probably not the one that like comes authentically from you and, yeah. and how you're experiencing yeah but you're speaking to a thing that like again this is uh, I'm not really talking about being a director, but I will say <laughs> that the thing that like I've like that for in working in art that I think is like the hardest thing to get over, at least for me personally, is the fear of doing something wrong. Right. Mm. Uh, right. Yeah. And well, it's especially so deep. Yeah. Huh. When when you're when when you like go to school and like learn how to act or learn how to direct, like th there's an implication in the fact that you're taking classes that like there's a right way and a wrong mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are tools that are more or less effective for different people. Yeah. But that but <laughs> but that doesn't mean that there's a right way and a wrong way. And that and in that I feel like that is the thing. Yeah. That like once you sort of like get over that hurdle, like everything sort of like opens up a little bit. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, like speaking to even being a director, there's like very little training for directors. Mm. Like there's a, there's a handful of, I mean, there's more than a handful of uh, directing programs, um, but there's MFA directing programs. There's some ways that you can study directing in a BFA program. If you don't want to do that and you want to like just take a class, there's a, a handful of those too. And I don't know really how successful they are. Like, I mean, and I'm, I don't know how you measure success, but I think like, do people become better directors from that? Is it like actually like worth the money, I guess. Yeah. But like the, the, if you want to be an actor, if you want to be many other, uh, do many other things in the, in the creative field of like performing arts, there's usually some like system that you can go through, um, that they're like, great. And you do this and you will receive training. And as a director, I think like there's not a lot. Um, I think a lot of it is like 
assist somebody like mm-hmm. what like you know go into somebody's rehearsal room and be able to be an assistant and depending on the collaboration that you have with that director um uh whatever that might be mm-hmm. um because really from each director it can be so different yeah. um uh you will gain some skills and then once you finish that you go out into the world and you direct some things and there's just no one in any of that system which i think is like probably how many of my peers would say they came up um there's like there's there's nowhere in there that someone's like this is what you do that is right and wrong so the moments that for me as a director where someone is coming to me saying like Mm -hmm. yeah you're doing this wrong gives me such also like anxiety because because there's such a like there's not a lot of time getting feedback well it's also interesting on a macro level because i feel like within a production like everyone else can come to the director and say is this right or wrong you know the designers the actors (laughs) even like the writers you know does this make sense dramaturgically yeah but the director doesn't have like that higher authority within the thing of the show to like check in with in a way yeah and so that like then like what do you have and i feel like for me it's just become like a deep study of the play and then like uh my like as much instinct as i can possibly bring to all those things but like basically it's like a lot of like deep preparation and then following whatever like what i feel to be most true in the moment and that's and but like there's no one that like there's no specific structure which taught me to do that um, and mm-hmm. and I feel like for probably a lot of like emerging directors, there's like they're like cool. How do I start doing this? And having students who are like I want to get into directing. What advice do you have? And I'm like, here are ways that you can watch people. Here are ways that they might give you some opportunities. But the I like the ways that you can scale the ladder are like much more diffuse than they are for actors or writers. Well, what so what did it look like for you? Um, uh, yeah, I went to acting school at the Atlantic, which is where I teach um, through NYU, and I. Um, you I like was in school and I was interested in directing and we had like a class that was sort of about directing for part of the semester um but there was no real training given to it I would think there's like well like direct a scene and then we'll talk about how you directed it um it was not a very like formalized uh curriculum uh-huh. to my recollection um and then the next year I was like I want to direct a musical uh because <laughs> undergrad um right. and I directed uh Bat Boy the musical I saw you saw, I that. I saw that yeah <laughs> right um i'm almost positive you did yeah um and uh i did really didn't know what i was doing i'd never directed a musical before the only time i directed before that besides that class was with orange tree in high school yeah and i directed a handful um back then um this is gonna be a tangent but i am curious either to go back to just like if you think like the differences between directing a play and directing a musical if you think there are sort of like stark differences between the two I've only, I, uh, let's see, what do I, I've worked on, I've worked on a lot of like plays that have involved music. Um, there definitely, uh, there definitely are differences. Um, but I do think that the fundamental question that one has to ask at the beginning, which is the thing that I think I'm always sort of coming from uh, as like a deep story nerd, is like, what, what, what is the story you're telling and how do we, how are we telling it? Um, in the great thing about directing a musical is that you have a lot of collaborators who are helping you in the room. Um, and maybe helping you is actually the wrong verb for it. Um, because I think it really depends on the type of material and show and also just like who those people are. Um, cause sometimes like you're helping them and sometimes they're helping you and sometimes, you know, you're in it all together and that really changes. But, um, yeah, I think that, Hmm. Yeah, it's a thing I actually haven't thought about in a long time because I don't get to do it that often. Um, 
uh, I, I guess the, actually the most recent musical I directed was um, I was a drama league fellow at the Hangar Theater back in Ithaca um, a couple years ago. I directed a kids musical then or a show that had a, a few like musical numbers. Um, the interesting thing I think about musicals that are like it's so it, like, I kind of feel the way, same way about musicals as I do about like fight choreography is that like there are times that there's just something technical that is telling you exactly what to do. When like mm -hmm. you're doing a scene, sometimes you're like, great, like we don't know, we're just gonna like explore this. And sometimes music and fight choreography are like saying like, in this moment you're gonna do this, and then you're gonna do this, and then you're gonna do this. And there's this great structure within which you like are know exactly that you're working. And with some plays that like make nothing explicit, you're like, okay, we have nothing to go on except for our like own collective decision in a room. Not all musicals work that way. Not all fight choreography works exactly that way. But um, but there's something about that element of structure that are more spelled out for you. That is, uh, I think, sometimes very relieving or very hmm. exciting, and sometimes <laughs> also like very like frustrating. You're like, oh god, I can't do all these things because we're we're stuck. We're, we're limited by this restriction. Yeah. So I interrupted yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. What was I saying? Being, you're in college. You directed a musical. Oh yeah. Um. And then after that, I was like, great, I want to direct more things. How do I do that? <laughs> and Did you have that feeling doing Bat Boy that you were talking about, about that, like, um, I don't know, I don't know how to know if I'm doing it right or wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. I think I had such a, I had, yeah, I had, like, a profound sense of imposter syndrome dur doing that, uh -huh. especially because both my choreographer and my music director and my entire cast all were in the musical theater program. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so they all were like deeply knowledgeable about a thing that I was responsible for, which um, feels like, God, like that probably doesn't happen that much, but I think it really happens. It can happen a lot um, in various rooms where all of a sudden you're like, okay, I think I'm, there's, there are people in this room that are in this room sometimes for great reasons who know more about this and that's why they're in this room. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, uh, but it it was really hard, yeah. um, uh, and I think I, I like linger on that because I think that like that's just got to be part of like the beginning of being a director is sometimes just saying like I being really honest about like I don't know like I, I'm not sure, mm. um, but I've done the work to figure this out and I like these are the things I'm going to try like at least doing all the work that you can to get as far as you can so you can look at people saying like this is what I know this is what I don't know um, and here's my instincts about where we move next going forward I feel like no matter the size of the project, like if it's daunting, I think is probably the process that we have to go through. Yeah. Did I, did I answer your original question? Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I guess what I'm curious about is like, what was it about that experience that made you want to do it more? Yeah. Uh, I just laughed there. Cause I was like, yeah, you're just rem reminding me of like some elements of like, just like shame that I felt I was just like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, oh. I mean, I, we've yeah. all been there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, especially like at age, 19 yeah. i think at the time yeah um uh yeah um well i think what I, I it's interesting because like i kind of like seamlessly transitioned out of acting into directing where i wasn't like making a conscious choice i wasn't going to do one and mm -hmm. i was going to start doing the other but i found that the type of artist that i was in approaching work was just about like great i want to be able to like help tell st these stories and the ones that excite me um like what are, where where do my skills fit in best and it's not like about wanting to necessarily like have a certain element of control as a director or like wanting to be able to like just like act it out as an actor. But I just I'm like, great, like what can I bring to which thing feels the most um, like effective? Yeah. And and so I was like, 
I really wanted to explore that more. I think that the I, I could feel a yearning of like sometimes like knowing that I had um, opinions or instincts that I wanted to be able to follow in a creative way um, outside of a process um, uh, or like outside, uh, not outside of a process. I had instincts that I wanted to follow that were in the organizational, creative, sometimes administrative <laughs> way that um, I like wanted to be able to follow those impulses and see if they were good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like maybe like that's like I think I'm really trying to like get myself back to that place where I'm like, am I even like, do I even do this in a way that is like good? <laughs> uh-huh. um, and then uh, I just like really how I got to start doing it was I worked at, I couldn't get anybody to like hire me though. Um, and I worked at the Atlantic like as like a part-time employee. And I was like, can I direct one of the student one acts? And they said, no. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, and my peers were getting the opportunity and I wasn't. And then I got hired. I was a full-time staff member for the Atlantic for a while. And once I got that job, they're like, okay, we'll let you do one. And I did one and, um, I was like, okay, great. Can I do another one? And that's like, then I just got to do more and more. And I used that to be able to start asking to assistant direct, on on a show with the students as well and then like use that as a kind of like training ground and i like often say i cut my teeth just like directing students in one acts yeah um when i was like in my early 20s just to like experiment in the rehearsal room of like what does it mean to do that yeah that's so okay so in my in my research Mm -hmm. um so you work at the atlantic teaching yeah you you're a resident artist at the flea Mm -hmm. yeah an associate artist and so okay i was a resident director and i'm an associate artist okay great yeah and you are associate artistic director of pipeline of pipeline yeah so i mean i'm really interested in like community right in this industry and like what like what is (laughs) and hearing you talk about like you were able to have these opportunities like as part of this position that you had yeah like i don't know what my question is i'm just really curious about like having these three separate homes like is does it does it kind of continue to feel like that where it's like i have this place where i have this identity yeah and and i'm able to like explore my artistry within it like yeah i think so you keep asking asking me these questions that i think speak to like these like very like soft tender things at the center of my being um uh <laughs> uh which is not a bad thing um yeah uh it's what we want but i think that like there is something as you're talking about kind of like community is like that i often think about as artists like uh the idea of belonging yeah and having just the somewhere that you're meant to be and meant to be doing this yeah. and uh i think that like for all of those places in their own way like i do feel there's a place that like i like have a certain place and a community and people that i can go to and there's a shared aesthetic or um understanding there's shared principles that um I think I really value. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does it go two ways a little bit? Like, mm-hmm. do you feel like your sort of like aesthetic as an artist was shaped, you know, by the flea, was shaped mm-hmm. by the Atlantic? Yeah. Or just that you sort of got to come as who you are and because you meshed so well with like what they stand for, you just got to plug in? 
yeah am i <laughs> am am i a product of them or or do i get to or do they allow me to be more myself is that kind of the question yeah are you a product of them or i guess is their aesthetic a product of you in a way you the collective of yeah it's it's uh gosh it's that is like such a deep question for me um, because I like it's so interesting, like as a, someone who's teaching like the principal technique, for, exa for example, at the Atlantic that I'm like, uh, oh, I, have, I have two things to say. One, one is that like coming like as a principal teacher, of the technique at the Atlantic, like I am teaching the found like one of the foundational classes of the acting technique. Mm -hmm. But that being said, like I'm still like watching a scene and saying, like, do I personally like what do I see in the scene and where do I feel like the places are that like can. I can like bring help this actor to like deepen their work um and is that but I don't know like the chicken or the egg do I like have that instinct because of the work that like I because of the way I was taught or mm -hmm. do I have that just because of like my instincts as a person who like watches acting a lot um like I watch a lot of acting and I often say like about directors that they're like professional audience members right and it's mm -hmm. like I, I think about also uh -huh. like trying to do that as a teacher it's just like look, we all know how to watch things, right? Like everyone, and there's actually probably at this point in time with uh, as much as we like watch content, like most people are professional audience members to a certain extent. <laughs> um, but I do think like I'm like, I'm pretty well, I think I'm like, I'm like pretty well informed about like what I'm watching for and when do I feel like, oh, this, this feels off. And I feel like maybe the prof professional part is being able to articulate the things that I see in a vocabulary that people can hear in the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and that's like maybe what makes it professional. Which this reminds me of the conversation we were just having on the episode we released today with Matt Castle about the vocabulary with which you talk to people and being yeah. able to suss mm. out what people are receptive to hearing and how, yeah. how they will best hear it. Well, I think that's like what I, that speaks so much to the idea of like, God, am I doing, am I, of, am I, <laughs> the fear of doing it wrong. Like I feel like so often in like working with playwrights on, on new plays with working with actors who are learning how to act just like in anything that is like in the middle of the process i find that usually the barrier to being heard is that someone feels like they're being told that they're doing it wrong mm. i think mm, that's interesting yeah <laughs> <laughs> how come yeah no yeah that's i mean i i'd never heard it put that way but that's that is sort of like when a lot of like defenses go up and when and when defenses go up it's mm -hmm. hard to be productive yeah artistically yeah yeah i think about being an actor a couple of years ago or it was now three years ago that was in a play at the flea uh, like the only time i've really acted in a play in the last decade plus um like an actual play that had an actual run um of more than like a night um and I do remember being in rehearsal for that and one time just getting a note that just like really riled me. Uh, and like fundamentally, I like had to like really step back from being like, okay, hold on. Like, I don't think that the note is wrong, but um, the thing that is stopping me is me feeling like I am being told that I'm doing something wrong. And I just feel like I have to defend against that in some way. It's like, to what end? Like why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what? Like who? What? The only thing I'm protecting is my ego. Yeah. Um, but egos feel so powerful. That is, I feel like my ego in in many moments feels to me worth protecting. <laughs> I think I was like, yeah, but is it? I think it like because I think that like oh gosh, well okay, I'm just gonna like talk this out, but like, but like if I think that so often like when we can get 
our ego out of our way or like when you like perhaps like for you as a writer like coming back to material that like you haven't worked on in a little while mm -hmm. there's a way that you can be like you know what like i'm actually able to look at this with some objectivity and like i feel like the ego volume has been turned down some and you're able to be like you know what i can throw this out it's okay <laughs> i think yeah is that it's true or not true? hard for me I oh mean, totally yeah i think with certain things that is true that you see something and right away you're like oh that's not done optimally, I can fix it. But I right. think there's a large core of like what feels like the essence of the thing that still does feel sort of like very precious and personal. Yes, but I think the difference between those two things, whereas like with time, you're able to like be like, oh, now that I've turned on the volume of my ego, I can see that this thing isn't actually helping and it's not the essence of it. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe like a hope, I imagine that the, the like way that, um, writers or anybody else directors like at any point in time it's like we're just like sometimes we got to be like we're like protecting all of it we're like just mm. like shielding the whole thing and then at some point we're like okay i'm able to like actually bring down the force field a little bit and actually i can like look at this and say like oh oh hold on hold on yeah yeah, yeah. that can that can change um and so i really try to like approach feedback that i receive in a way that is like uh, everything is open to be thrown out with the caveat that like I also know that I'm a person who is like so deeply like <laughs> resistant to it. It's like it's not like it goes away. I just like have to like really like counterbalance with the thing of like great like I'm despite the fact that maybe all my systems will be firing. I'm still going to be like great let's talk about anything that we need to change. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Like just like and just being like comfortable maybe not comfortable used to the criticism. Yeah. Uh, and being able to like really sit with Wait, it. Wait, are you talking as a director now or? Um, all of it. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I think like it's talking about that actor that one time got that note, being that person, as uh -huh. well as being a director who's like getting notes in previews, um, having someone come to like a stumble through and give you notes. You're like, yes, yeah. but yes, but like all those things, <laughs> right. as well as like being in previews or reading a review mm -hmm. or anything right. else. It's just like, and sometimes when I am doing writing, the same thing. I think writing like most of all for me probably is just like, like uh, it just feels like there's people can say anything and it will just cut to the bottom of my soul and it'll like roll around in my mind for mm -hmm. the rest of my life. So yeah. I just have to like really put up the walls to be able to be like, okay, cool. I'm not going to let those things in there. But like probably what they're saying is at the least useful and maybe like more than that, <laughs> you know, maybe like it's use won't be immediately apparent, but it's like, they're probably saying it because they, as professional audience members, uh, like w watched something and said like, yeah, but I felt like I kind of stepped out in this moment. You're like, but, but, but I was trying to do this. And it's like, yeah, but, but hold like, what, a, <laughs> you know, right? Like, that's what I feel like I'm so often like, be like yeah, but huh, yeah. So uh, I think that there's such a fear of being told that you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and that like, you don't know. And the real need to defend my intellectual understanding of something mm. when it's like the art that we're working in is actually not intellectual. I mean, it is, but I think that like usually when we're watching things, we're not, we're not trying to speak fundamentally to the intellectual place. We're trying to speak to the emotional place. Mm. And then uh, once that, then I think like only once we've done that, then we can have some ideas in there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're talking about like, if you're talking about like, like critics, mm -hmm. like writing about, like writing a review. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, that's maybe different. We were just talking the other day, Sam and I, about you were like, oh, I think I'm going to go back to a voice lesson. So I was like, oh, yeah. oh, cool. And you were like, yeah, you know, there was this one line from a review that stuck in my head. And it was like, to me, it was like the most minuscule, you know, like 
parenthetical nothing It literally line. was in a parentheses. Yes. Mm. But it was the only negative thing he had to say about the production. That's what parentheses are good for in reviews usually. <laughs> it was literally the only negative thing he had to say. And to me, it, like... It was, and it, it was about me, like like my physical being, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think the other thing, first of all, I think like critics like speak uh, or I think like uh, talking about physical body feels like um, the least insightful commentary you can possibly make <laughs> at any point in time. Like I even find this like in watch again, this, I don't know if this is useful either, but like I even find in watching like the late night comedy shows that are talking about the news. I actually am really tired of the jokes about the appearance of anybody, yeah. no matter mm -hmm. how much I, I hate them uh, or yeah. like them. I just find that they are like, they're like, it just feels like a cheap shot when they're actually trying to talk about something way it's more like serious. It's one hundred percent a cheap shot, and it, it it's distracting from like the real like horrible things that are happening. Yeah, that those people who they're instead of talking about the horrible things they're doing, they're talking about what they look like. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, and so it feels like that. Like in reviews, it's like, well, then like uh, the uh, yeah, I, I just find it. Uh, it's just so frustrating to me. Um, yeah. But also to go back, maybe this is like speaking to the question you had about about critics. Maybe I'll if we come back here. <laughs> um, I think that like critics are talking about product and not process, and I think those yeah. two things are different too. It's like yeah. they're only seeing the product and none of the process, whereas like all that other feedback is coming from people who are working with you in some way. Mm. If it's a show that's in previews or it's like your first draft, it's like right. And it's, that's different. Whether and they're sometimes treating it as such, where they're just saying like, "Here, here's this final thing that you've polished and said is like done and perfect." When so often, also like for us, we're like, "Yeah, man, that's as far as we could get." Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and some of them understand that, and some of them don't. And um, also, and it okay. seems like some of them try to watch it on the terms that the production is setting. Yeah. And some of them watch it just on their own terms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, so I, I think my question was trying to get to something like don't you like is isn't it <laughs> is isn't it uh, hard to find that useful sometimes when they're not trying to like because you were saying like yeah. all all of these all of this feedback is useful in some way yeah. but like is the feedback from critics useful is well <laughs> no that's not yeah. exactly the question if they're but not like, aligned with you on what you're even trying to do yeah or like if yeah, if if they're sort of saying like what I wanted this piece to be was blank, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, you know, you sort of know what you're trying to make. Yeah. And like, I don't. Maybe that's the thing is like, you feel this disconnect from what you feel like you've made and what they seem to be saying they saw, mm -hmm. and they're not seeing the thing that you feel like you made. Yeah. Uh huh. It's yeah. I think I would still put it, and this is maybe me being, uh, I think much like I say, like about somebody who is like, there's everyone's an actor. I'm like, there's the same, I think, principle. I just try to approach everything from a place of like, look, fundamentally, I don't think anybody is going in trying to take something down. Mostly. I think like I don't have to deal with like come across as people very often. And I think that like for the people who go see shows 200 to 300 shows a year, or maybe more than that, um, they're like at least trying to articulate something whether but uh, and i think it's like great 
you're just one person and I'll look at like what you write about it and say like, oh, great, you m missed the point of what I was trying to do. And maybe that's useful. To know that someone who sees that much theater missed the point of what you're trying to do, that's the useful part or? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, the, the great thing is that it's like someone's like, often when you get notes from people, they're kind of like, can I give you these three thoughts on a street corner? And at least in this case, like someone is like <laughs> sitting down and writing about the play in a way that is really detailed. And, right. and so you're like, okay, great. This is like at least someone who is like really articulating what they see in it. At best, sometimes reviews aren't necessarily that cogent. Yeah. Um, or I shouldn't say that, but I think sometimes reviews are not as comprehensive in terms of like intention of a play and sometimes mm. they aren't really grappling with it in that way yeah. in the way that like even some like academic criticism like isn't really doing it either it's becoming entirely about the ideas um and but sometimes you get these like pieces of like theater that really speak to, like what is the play doing and saying and how do all these pieces in it cohere yeah I don't know if any of that is helpful. I don't know if I'm speaking about criticism. I don't get reviewed that often, you know, mm -hmm. like I like I think it's so rare. Um, yeah. So I say it more like from a place of abstraction, I yeah. think, than it is about. But I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe useful. Um, the other thing I was going to say before, mm -hmm. if this is, uh, the other thing I was going to say was, um, I remember also that, coming in as a director to the flea and talking about like feeling like you're on the outside. I remember being oh God, at this point I, when I started, I was probably like 26 and I was there starting to direct the actors there. And I was like, okay, um, I, I, I just need to figure out like how to direct them. And I'd spent so much time directing, um, students mm -hmm. and, and like people who had come out of the training that I had received. And I was like, I don't, like, this is the outsider thing. I was like, there's like, I don't know how to direct the bats, which is the resident mm -hmm. actors at the flea. And I was like, how do, how do I, how do I do that? Like, wh what, what do I do? Like, what, what are the ways that I do that? And I remember going to the artistic director and asking him the qu that question. And he was like, um, he was like, he kind of gave me some feedback. And I was like, okay. Uh, I, I, I think fundamentally, like, I walked out of that room being like, right. It's no different. What am I like? What was I thinking about in the first place? Why did I, what like, what kind of answer did I expect that there was some secret code again? Right. Um, but to me, that does sort of resonate with like what you were saying before about like I like to be as prepared as possible, and that this idea of like thorough preparation is like fundamental to how you approach things. Yeah. Yeah. That if there is a secret code or a secret language, you want to know and preferably learn it. Right. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. It'd be so great. If there was just like a diction if there were like a dictionary or like a translation dictionary just to be like, great, how do I speak the secret code? Uh, <laughs> I would feel I would feel great. I would feel great. This is sort of like a a right turn and I don't know if there's anything fruitful in yeah. here, but like in a lot of times on the podcast we talk about just sort of like the hustle of it and like, you know, like being like purposeful and like making your career and I always think about I like ran into you in a random street corner and it was right after you got the what is it called the thing that you were the dr the drama leak yeah. thing at the hangar theater yeah. and I think I remember you saying it like yeah this was my 10th time applying <laughs> it wasn't my 10th but I think or eight. it was it was I had applied four different it was the fourth year I'd applied um, and it oh, was, wow, I really, yeah, <laughs> really but, uh, but, that. but I, but I, I applied, I think over that time for six different fellowships, like cumulatively, I think, or yeah, I think six different ones and three times for the hangar and three times for the fall or something like that. Uh, or maybe even four times for the fall. I had applied a number of years and I had interviewed twice. 
Um, and I had, it was, I think the seventh year, like overall, I think I first applied in 2007 and I then finally got it in 2017. That can't be right. It was the Drumley Fellowship. It was the Drumley Directors Fellowship, and I got it. And I first applied in 2011. That's right. I first applied in 2011, and I got it in 2017. And I had some years off where I was doing other things at the time that I couldn't do. It while I was traveling. Um, but yeah, I I went through the process for a long time of trying to get that. And it I it was um, the ver- it's like one of the it's a great program and it's very competitive. Um, I just remember being impressed not only with the like stick-to-itiveness of just like doing it every year but also like the preparation of you saying you know like i thought about you know what are all the questions they could ask me in the interview like just the detailed preparation yeah i I don't know why there's i guess all these things always seem more effortless on the outside than they actually are yeah i think that like i the thing that (laughs) the thing that's most impressive impressive about it to me is that it worked (laughs) at least like over the time of applying so many times for this and like for all of us that have to go in for interviews like this that actually really thinking about the questions they could ask me, the things on my resume that they might call out, and then actually practicing the answers I would do to it, uh, I would the answers I would give in that circumstance, uh, were, uh, like, that really helped. That was, like, the, the thing that was, like, actually going through and practicing it, and I had a friend call me on the phone, and I had emailed all the questions to ask me, and I could talk it, talk it through. And she pretended to be, like, a very stoic interviewer that wouldn't give me any feedback which was entirely her design and is to her great credit um and i just like had to give all those answers and and then at the end of it we like went through and kind of talked through like what worked and what didn't work i highly recommend it if you ever have to do an interview it's like it made everything so much easier i guess another reason that i think that like that kind of preparation is interesting to me with you yeah is because i think of you like many of the things i associate with you Mm. are Improv, because Tom is a hilarious improv comedian who I've seen perform and is is like my other secret life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But also even in a way like game playing, like I feel like there is like a very playful off the cut spirit to like a lot of the things you do in your regular life. And I think it's funny to think about how that sits with this sort of like diligence and preparation. Yeah. Well, okay. to like. I will say, man, that's, but that's like, just to speak to other things that like are at like the center of me. Like, (laughs) I don't even think I'm like excellent at improv. Um, I like, I admire so many people that I do it with so much and I like feel so blessed to be doing it with them. Um, I feel like they have like more training and they have more like natural instinct for it than I do. Um, and, but I will also say, and I have a real reputation in the group that I'm like trying like staunchly to (laughs) like change is that we improvise known properties we've improvised like various um like movies or uh or we've improvised like romeo and juliet and every year we do a christmas carol for a weekend um and it is the construct of the shows is that yeah they take a known property they consume one version of it at least once then they try to recreate it from memory got it yeah and we get cast on the spot and the audience has written lines we have to pull out of our pocket and uh someone in the audience has a bell they can ring that we have to create a scene based on whatever was just said um as uh uh, they say is that like the the line is like imagine it as a deleted scene uh, that oh. was deleted for all the right reasons, <laughs> um, which is I think a line to credit of Pete McGilligan who runs uh, the company with his wife uh, Claire Gresham, and um, also uh, the the host can play sound effects we have to incorporate. Anyways, <laughs> um, the thing that um, I have a great reputation for being the one who has watched 
the material the least or like <laughs> sometimes I've gone in there was one time that I like come and do the show and I was like okay and I was driving back from Ithaca and so I drove straight to the show and I didn't get to watch the movie beforehand <laughs> so I did an audio rip of Silence of the Lambs and put it on a speaker in the car and <laughs> listened to it on the drive down um, which was really helpful except for the entire like final sequence where there's like night vision and there's like it's un- like there's <laughs> nothing happening just hearing sound effects um, uh so, uh, but uh, there are times that I have felt like underprepared for that. And, uh, it really, like, I, I actually, it felt so bad. Like I, fe- I felt so terrible about it. And so, um, like, uh, I like really had to like make that mistake and learn it to be able to say like, <laughs> okay, great. Like, let's actually do the work that has to happen, uh, and be the person that knows the movie in- incredibly well or play or, or classic Dickens story. Um, but is that the goal though? Um, like I no. feel like as an audience member, there's something be? so entertaining about people like not knowing exactly. Yeah. Yes, that is true. Um, and I think that probably for them, uh, they didn't mind, but I did feel like I had let down the group, uh, because I think like at least I think what we we all watch it separately uh, for the most part. Um, if I imagine that's that uh, a married couple might be watching it together, but um, uh, but then we come together and we at least just like talk through the stories so when what the beats are, but we never like, you're, we don't know who's going to play what part. And whenever like, you're going to say this, we just like kind of like, great. Like what is the structure? And it's so useful as a creative artist in all the other fields that I'm in to be able to say like, Oh wow. That movie is really like, it's this character has a beat and this character has a beat and this character has a beat and this character has a beat. And just like actually to be breaking down screenplays or oh. stories in that way. Yeah. Um, so it's really helpful to know that. And in something like Silence of the Lambs, because the second time we did it, that was the time that I really wasn't prepared. If you don't know what Hannibal Lecter is going to give to her as a clue, uh, it really can torpedo the entire show. Um, <laughs> but then the movie just goes on a turn. And, yes. And, and the movie that you're presenting <sighs> right. is, just happens to be different from the movie that you're trying to present. Yes. I think, and I think that a lot of that, what happened to me in that moment was a fear of being wrong. Like right. It's that same thing. It's like I'm, I'm doing something wrong. When actually I think I like if I had surrendered to I can't I, there's no way I'm going to do this right and accepting help from others, then I think uh, I probably would have felt a lot better about it. But instead, I think I was like really like oh, I, I was stubborn in the way that I wanted to get it right. Yeah, that is such a thing in improv, too, because I feel like I'm also an improv nerd. Yeah. And like the idea that your scene partner has an intention and you don't want to do anything that will like squash their intention or misinterpret that what they're trying to give you that can be totally paralyzing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also like, God, it makes me think like the, like, and the challenging thing about doing it when there is the structure of some like known story that already exists is that it's like another character in the room in a way. And you're like, you actually feel like, Oh, I have to be somehow respectful of like the desires of the story. Right, but at the same time, yeah. like no one's coming to an improv version of Silence of the Lambs expecting to see the exact movie. No. Well, yeah, you know? no, no. Occasionally we do get audience members who will really yell out if we're getting it wrong, but in a way that is incredibly <laughs> endearing. Uh, right, right. Yeah, I don't, yeah, no one's expecting it. No one's expecting like, it. Like the thing, the thing that, the thing that I'm thinking about is um, that game, um, picture telephone. What mm-hmm. picture telephone? Yeah. Where it's like. It starts with a phrase, mm-hmm. and then you pass the paper, and the yeah. next person has to draw the phrase. Then they fold over the phrase. You pass the paper, so the next person can only see the picture, yeah. and they have to write the phrase of the picture. 
then they fold over the picture. The next person can only see the new phrase. They have to draw that. And like, I find it incredibly boring if at the end of the thing, it's the exact same phrase. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't play that game with people who are actually too good at art. Yeah. Well, it's it's not even about that. It's you can't play that game with people who are trying to get it right. Hmm. You have to play the game with people who are just like writing down what they see and then drawing what they see. You know what I mean? Like, Which reminds me yeah. of what you said before about feeling like there's a right human nature choice to be made here and that being the least interesting choice. In yeah. Well, this is also like this is where I find like being a director and thinking about games like is often uh, like there's a real alliance of those things and kind of how you bring this up in the first place is like I think that the key actually to making that game interesting is making sure that you're coming up with a phrase that you understand the audience experience that there's no way that we're ever going to capture this phrase correctly. Right. And I think like that's if people are starting out in a place I often use this comparison. My um, friend went down to uh, to North Carolina where my sister lives and was staying with my sister and they all went out together and they sent me a picture from them at a mini golf course. And like this was so... They like had such a good time and everything, but then when I asked them about it, they were like, "Yeah, there was one thing about it that was not great," which they said like all eighteen holes were like a straight line that banked to the left or the right, <laughs> and that was it. And they were all just kind of like this like bendy straw shaped hole, uh-huh. eighteen times. And I was like, "That feels like an artist who was too scared to make any like interesting choice." <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I feel like often like that's what I feel like when I'm like uh, whatever like working with. Um, students on, on plays or or working on plays or just I feel like this feels like a place where you're too scared to make a choice that is like fundamentally you like I want to see people's craziest mini golf courses and yeah. I want and I want people to like come up with the craziest phrase they can come up with yeah I find it fascinating we're doing those improv shows and people are like I hand out blank pieces of paper for them be like write a line down and you can write anything down and they're like I don't know what to write I'm like, this is the easiest part of the job for you. Like, <laughs> we don't get any time to think about what we're going to say on stage. But even more importantly, no one's going to know that you wrote it. So, like, there's no way you can possibly fail in this moment. But you don't want to, like, write some garbage line and then the actors are stuck with it on stage and you've, like, screwed up their but show. But sometimes garbage lines are, like, excellent. Sometimes they're, like, they're, like you really, you never know what context you're going to get it in. And this is the place where, like, something like, um, uh... Uh, what is it D- Dadaism right where it's just like kind of like uh-huh. s- like scooping the first thing off the top of your brain uh-huh. right and, and literally just like like chopping things up and putting them in different places yeah like that's like that often is where like all the excitement is like I'd rather people just write down the very first thing that they ever get like the, God, we, one time one time we did this we did Christmas Carol and I was a giant rat that uh, Scrooge kept in his basement that he would haul up every night to look at to remind himself of the horrors of the world and then <laughs> back down into the basement again. Um, and at the at the end of the show, when he like wakes up on Christmas morning, he's like, oh. And so he pulls the rat up and sets him free. He like just sends him off. And the, uh, the rat had never spoken. It was all this weird little creature that I was playing the rat. And I pulled a line out of my pocket. And the line said, I always knew you had a heart of gold. And it was incredible. The The timing of it was great. Like it was, it was so brilliant. And it's like, <laughs> like, and, a, and one of my students had written it and she said she's like I thought it was so dumb I didn't know what to write and it was like it brought down the house <laughs> so like you just like never know sometimes yeah. like you just like have to scoop off the top of your brain yeah I love improv magic right <laughs> yeah um oh, I was gonna say something else about also like games and like yeah, being yeah. able to like like how that also feels well it's interesting you know my mother um whom you know is like in her uh like 
later career as a doctor got really into like um through this like talk she went to which was with jeff mcbride who's a uh, great magician does this talk about like the the similarities between doctors and magicians um and how like before like uh, like shamans used to be both hmm. um they would both practice magic and they would practice medicine and that there was some combination of the two and so he would he'd give a talk and i guess he would teach some things about magic for doctors uh and he gave i guess a talk about it um in our hometown, but he also does a weekend in Las Vegas. So my mom went to a weekend in Las Vegas to like take this, and now she's like a, a magician. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's a difference between a, like a, like she she goes to a magic club and everything else. Whoa. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, and so I'll go home and she'll do a trick and I'll like help her to direct that. Mm, and uh-huh. I think that like in all of like the thing that I find interesting about like that magic or I think that's all the things my parents are big into games like all the stuff that I think about like the experiences that happen in my house a lot are about like crafting an experience for the audience where you're trying mm-hmm. to come up with a certain level of difficulty um, but also a certain level of fun and how to have both of those challenges coming in one Ooh. and there's like I think a lot of theory and video games about this too but I think that's like often what you're also trying to do as a director which is like give people a very clear idea of what's happening right now but then you're also figuring out how you can subvert it and how you can frustrate it and then how you can reward and then how you can surprise and then how you can give expectation then how you can frustrate that and you can subvert it and then how you can reward and then how you can surprise and all of a sudden we're on a different tangent and I feel like a lot of games that are well built do the same thing um and some really interesting I like that yeah but I think that's like a lot of what it is and I think you're saying like that's like the off the cuff thing is that I think at a certain point in time like I think I have a brain that really sees structure and the experience that happens inside of that structure where it's like everything from like uh conversations that people are having like this conversation we're having right now and like great there's like a certain structure but then like how do we like like something like um like jazz or like improv or something that like rests on rhythm in a way it's like then how are we like how do we lean into that rhythm and how do we push against it? And that's like, and games are the same way. It's like you get your cards and then you play a card and then you play a card and you play a card, but all of a sudden then this thing happens and the stakes are raised and all of a sudden the playing of your next card becomes all of a sudden much more fraught um, in a way that like doors close and all of a sudden all these things aren't available to you anymore as the play ends or the game ends. Yeah. And it is a way of seeing your audience is very much like a participant as opposed to a spectator in a way. Yeah. That on some level they are sort of bobbing and weaving with you. Yeah. Even if all they're doing is sitting there. Yeah. When Pipeline goes in retreat, like I'm, uh, uh, I often end up leading all the games. Or they like <laughs> I have the I have the um, I have the nickname for those retreats is like Game Master Tom because I like <laughs> usually will bring a couple games and also there's games that we always kind of traditionally play. What do you play? Uh, we always play uh we we always play celebrity and we always play mafia. Because those are two of the best games out there. Yes. Uh, And uh, Julia and I have a long tradition of playing Mafia for... It's true. Decades. Yeah, like probably probably 20 years. Yeah, probably 20 years. Um, uh, And uh, those two we basically have always played. But a lot of that is also just making sure that there's just enough, um, like, again, like, making sure that everything is on the edge. And I'm often, like, leading the Mafia game where it's, like, just making sure that no one... Because some people don't like it, Mm -hmm. which is just crazy to me. Um, (laughs) uh, Do you like Mafia? Um, I don't know if I've ever actually really played it. I've played like, what's the one, the ultimate Avalon, werewolf? Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever played like moth. I, apart from when I was like nine at like summer camp. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it's the same idea, and I think for some people, they're like the idea of sitting in a room and just like 
lying for no particular gain <laughs> except to win over other people feels not that exciting to them. And I'm like, well, that's, that's how you're built. That's okay. Yeah. I, en- I enjoy werewolf when I'm not the werewolf. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. I am, I'm just a ball of stress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I hate it. I, uh, I love being a civilian or being a citizen or whatever you call it in it. And like, cause I love being much like a director, like the person that's there just kind of watching about like, wait, what, what feels out of place to me? And like being like the champion of good. Uh, yeah. Whereas I, I yeah. love being in the mafia. To yeah. me that's, and part of it is because I'm not the most observant of the civilians. So I think it's like you were saying before about where do I have the most to add? Mm. I'm less good at the figuring out and I don't want to be a liability to the side of good. But also like the thinking up all the reasoning mm-hmm. like for why I, I'm not necessarily bad when I am, I think is so fun. Yeah. Huh. I, I feel like I like I am definitely in a place of like I often can be a very loud civilian, so I have to be a very loud mafia, mm-hmm. and therefore me too. Yeah, because because what I enjoy about not being, maf- I'll switch to this language, yeah. to yeah. mafia Sorry. is um, figuring out the puzzle, yeah. like figuring out what's going on. But if I'm mafia, then I know what's going on. Yeah. So I'm I'm one like not enjoying it as much because I don't ha- I don't get the pleasure of figuring out what's going on, and two. Now I have to like pretend to be something I'm not, yeah. but also not act so crazy different from how I do when I'm the civilian, which is like me being like, wait, he said this. So that probably means this and da, da, da. And I'm, I'm also very loud yeah, because I'm so enjoying it. Yeah. But this is an interesting thing. Like, but then people probably say to you sometimes like, or that might hear the like, but you're an actor. You're so used that, to like that doing e- that to happened to me the last time I played it. Yeah. I was the werewolf. Yeah. And, but the like, I often find that I'm like, God, like, or like, I'm, I sometimes identify as an actor and they're like, but you're an actor. So you should like, like doing that. You should be good at that. But I feel like so much of what I do in performance is like, not exactly. It's not lying. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, how can I tell the truth more effectively? Yeah. And so then it's like, then you have to figure out like what I usually try to do is forget as much as possible about, about everything I know about what I did and why I did it and actually look at the game in a way that is like, uh, that is as much like, uh, civilian as possible. One thing I'm trying to figure out how to do on this yeah. podcast is like get people to just like talk about what they've been thinking about lately. Mm. You know? Yeah. Because like mm-hmm. yeah. I can ask questions based on what I'm thinking yeah. about lately, but they won't necessarily tease out like what our guest has been thinking. Yeah, about. No, right. so and, and we're thinking about like the same thing from week to week to week to week. Right. Yeah. We sort of already touched upon it, but I feel like right now I'm just in a place of like, man how can I get over my fear of doing it wrong? And that's yeah. the thing is like, that's why like you brought it up and I was like, well, I was just going to go right into it. It's like, I think that is the thing that like can hold me back where I'm like, I think that there's so many times that I think I back away from the, whatever ledge it might be because it feels really risky to do it wrong. Yeah. And having to show up for the other side of that has nothing to do with anybody else but myself. Yeah. <laughs> do you, uh, I, I'm curious because do, do you feel like just like the act of, like having more hours of experience under your belt, like helps you not feel that anymore. Like, no, really? (laughs) I just did a reading, um, where I was playing a character that I never would have expected anyone to cast me as. Yeah. And I was nervous Yeah, because I feel like I've spent a whole lot of time doing a particular kind of thing. Mm hmm. And I was like, I don't know if I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and we got into rehearsal. It was it was more of a workshop than a reading. We were like fully staged, and um, I was like doing this scene, and all of a sudden I was like doing these things physically that I was like, why am I doing this? Oh, because the character wants to. Mm. And it was like, there was no like editorializing of like, am I making the wrong choice? Like, yeah. no, this is like what is happening. Mm. And I was like, oh, like, did I, like, I just like felt comfortable and confident that mm. like I knew what needed to be going on. Yeah. And I think only because of all of the experience I had, like, and like, there was no conscious thing of like, I'm going to not worry about being wrong anymore. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that worry is still in my head. Right. And That's yet I mean. I'm like yeah. progressing um, artistically in a way where like I, I'm it, it's not holding, it's not hindering me as much anymore. Yeah. Yes, I think that's true. Yeah, I think that's why I, I think that the volume again to use the volume analogy. Like, I don't think I can turn down the volume on the worry, but I think I can turn the volume up on other things that mm. make it comparatively feel a little yeah. bit, a little bit better. Yeah. And as a director, the hard thing is like getting to it because like so much of it is working privately. <laughs> like mm. you don't sure. It's, and it's like there's as a director, like to speak also like you know, you get no catharsis because then you're like mm. you're, you're you're like it's like first preview and all the actors go out and they're like let's go and do it and like. We did it! Like an audience, so exciting, and you're like, I have all these notes, and it was so stressful, and all these things. And you do get, you get some release, but you also like, you just never get to the experience of like, letting go. You get it more in rehearsal than you do in performance, because yeah. actually, that's the part where you're like, you have to. Um, I mean, letting go in the sense of like, release and impulse. Actually, like at some point in in the as the show starts to perform, you actually just have to like let go of being like, well, I like I release it, and like that's what it's going to be now, and I can't note it anymore. Um, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> But I think so. But I think like to the order of like where that worry comes in, I think is especially then going into the process for a director. It's mm. like okay, I'm going in. It's like how am I going to do this? How am I going to run this room? What do I have to talk about? How do I help everybody get on board with this? Um, going into the rehearsal room, going into design meetings, um, talking to the administration, talking to the playwright, like all those conversations are like okay, great. Like that's actually where the element of performance and worry comes in because you want to do it to the best of its ability, the best of your ability. Um, and uh, you want to you want to make it good, yeah. um, at least I do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think, I I'm think unique in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I'm really interested in doing things well and not badly. Well, I think it's well. This is the other thing I think that comes with with like with having done it for a while is that I think that I got out of the thing of like, am I worthy? Am I? Mm-hmm. You know, at least I'm like okay. Like I don't think I have to because I think I needed to prove that to other people or prove it to myself. And I'm like, you know what? I just am now. I realize that like that thing is also so. It's it's a cousin of the worry. You can't really change it. So like at least the thing I can control is like the out the final product, um, and like and and the process and like how the process will lead to product. But like my feelings about it or anybody else's feelings about it, like that's so much harder to change and just mm-hmm. focus on like make it make it good. <laughs> and so I think that especially like for me, I can only speak for myself, like when I was younger, I was like, I don't think I was as, um, I couldn't focus on that as much out of mm. a feeling of um, self-consciousness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I think, a thing that I think about a lot right now yeah. <laughs> is like, and like just, uh, I think it's so important because I think that it's what stops people from doing their best work. Yeah. And sometimes it means a lot of bravery. Uh, yeah. Of actual just like being really open and honest. And I think that a lot of the work we're like that is most important right now in a way that like I often think about like Sigmund Freud says, um, wherever I go, something to the effect of wherever I go, I find a poet has been there before me. Mm. Um, and I feel like 
the only way we can get to that place collectively, because it's a collaborative art, is being incredibly brave, like to actually to like figure out how we can take a step into a place that is maybe not yet known. Yeah. Um, and so it means like looking people in the eye and saying like, I'm, I, I don't know, but like I think we should, I think we should go here. I think we should talk about this. I think that like, and that can be conversations around class or race or gender or politics or, uh, um, or whatever deeply personal thing that the writer is coming from or that the actor is working from, yeah. uh, whether the director sees in the play or anything else. And I think that is, um, there's a real fear of doing it wrong. Like now, as opposed to before, it was like, I don't want anybody to see me as a fraud. And now it's like, God, I really want to make sure that I can honor that incredibly mm. important and meaningful impulse when we yeah. get the, like, the great glorious op- opportunity to work on something that has that level of meaning. That's all, Rob.